We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, we are back. It is Saturday, Ryan, October 1st. It's a new month, and there's no Notre Dame football today, but there's still plenty to talk about with Notre Dame. I'm Brian Driscoll. That's Ryan Roberts. We are doing a special edition of the IB Countdown to Kickoff, which is why it's us, not Sean Styers and Vince Sedera, the normal hosts of Countdown to Kickoff, but I decided to give them the week off, weekend off, since I have been, I got some shows I got to get caught up on doing. Well, you guys, you know, pulled the weight this week, and I, uh, I was hanging out at Purdue, and so we are gonna we are gonna handle today's show. We're gonna talk about Notre Dame coming out of the break. We're gonna talk about what's at stake for Notre Dame these next eight games. We're gonna talk about people that need to step up, coaches and players, for Notre Dame to become the team they should have been coming out of the gate. We're gonna talk. We're gonna make some predictions for the uh, sort of the the Notre Dame after the break and what they're gonna do the the next eight games. We're gonna talk about toughest game, trap game, all those type of things. And then when we're done talking about Notre Dame, we're going to talk about the uh, just yet. Ryan, this has been one of the wildest beginnings of a season in a long time for me. Now, there haven't been a lot of great games, but every week there have been great games. And, and we haven't yeah. seen that in the past. And so I, it, I'm excited about this weekend. I'm excited to be able to just sit back and watch college football today and not have a game to cover and not have articles to write about the game we're going to cover. So we're going to talk about all the big games this weekend give our predictions, and then at noon, we're going to be out of here because it's time to relax and watch some football. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. So Ryan, we're gonna begin. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just Let's gonna say it. it's like the purest form of football today, Brian. It's like this yes. is what we grew up loving, right? It's just you can yes. sit back. Watch the games, relax, and enjoy some good football. Like that's that's what it is today. Which you know, it's unfortunate. There's no Notre Dame to kind of take in and enjoy. Yeah. But at the core, this is where the love for football began, right? So, you know, for me, Ryan, I, I love watching Notre Dame, but I am glad they always have a bye week because it is nice to just have a weekend where you can sit back. I'm have like three monitors up on my desk. I'm going to be watching games. I'm going to, you know, make some food, relax. I mean, and then with everything that happened with Rita, it kind of came at like the perfect time for me, you know, so uh, I'm excited that it's a bye week. And then it's also a good time for Notre Dame. And we'll transition to talk about Notre Dame. I think it's a really good opportunity for Notre Dame to get a bye. Normally, I like buys a little later in the year. But because of the, the Tyler Buckner injury and then Drew Pine taking over quarterback, this team needs to be different with Drew Pine at quarterback. They can't just keep saying, hey, this is the team we thought we were going to be. Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine are different players. Now, you can run the same offense. You don't have to change your offense, but your emphasis needs to change significantly with the change of quarterback. And I think it's hard to do that when you're just immediately getting into game prep and just game prep, game prep, game prep. A bye week, as we discussed yesterday, gives you a chance to take a step back and say, hey, where are we? What adjustments do we need to make? And so that's going to be an important part of, of of really what we're doing here, Ryan, when you look at Notre Dame kind of getting ready for the second half of the year. And, and here's why it's – or not second half of the year, but, you know, kind of coming out of the break. And here's why this is an important conversation and why we're having it today. Because Notre Dame obviously had their ultimate goals derailed. If you're Notre Dame, and we said this before the season, the goal is to compete for a championship. Notre Dame is not competing for a championship. Could there be some wackiness in college football this year that opens up a chance for a two-loss team to make the playoff for the first time ever? Sure. The odds of it being a two-loss team plus a two-loss team that doesn't play for a conference championship is kind of slim. I think if a two-loss team ever gets in, it's going to be some team that loses early and then goes on a roll and then gets in because they knock someone out in the conference title game. Yeah. Right. So I think it'd be something like that. And, and it would be a crazy year. A lot would have to happen the next eight weeks, really nine weeks when you count the conference championship games for Notre Dame to be a playoff team. So that's not really a conversation that we're going to have right now. But that doesn't mean there's still not a lot at stake. Right. And that's kind of why this is an important conversation. And so when you look at what's at stake, I think there's short term there's short term. uh things that that's at play now you know and the biggest one is marcus freeman um you know his reputation of what kind of coach is he that's a Mm -hmm. very important part of the rest of the season ryan because how this team finishes 
is is going to tell us a lot about you know what people how people view Marcus Freeman. So really having success in these final eight games is going to be a big, big, important part of it. And, te- and from a recruiting standpoint, from a re- reputation standpoint, tell us a lot about Marcus Freeman. Well, a- as a fan, like I want Notre Dame to win every game, right? Like put the fan hat for a second, but uh, the mm-hmm. larger scope, kind of the macro view, Brian, is exactly what you just said. I think that's the most important thing. Leading up to this season, you felt you felt a lot of optimism around the Notre Dame program. You know, you're like, okay, Marcus Freeman looks like he hired a great staff. He's recruiting at an all-time level. Everything is just kind of working together, right? And you're kind of like, okay, this sky's the limit. And then you have some early season struggles, and the loss to Marshall just took all the glimmer off of it for a second, right? You're like, oh, man. And then people, of course, are getting super hyperbolic. You know, Marcus Freeman's not the guy. Fire him after three games. Like, just – Absolutely ridiculous stuff, right? And it oh, and, and they're going to go four and eight. They're not going to make a bowl yeah. game. They're going to be oh, lucky yeah. to be six and six, right? Right. It's going to be the worst worst team in Notre Dame history. Like that's that's what was going to come next, right? So, it, and that stuff always happens. And I get it. Like it, it's it's never one way or the other, right? Like it's never like happy medium, right? Like where you're just kind of like, oh, this is disappointing, but you could still recover from this and still have a, you know, a, a good ending to the season. It has to be either it's terrible or it's great, right? Like there just can't be an in-between, but I think what Marcus Freeman could do now is moving forward and to the end of the season, he can kind of bring back some of that momentum on his side, right? Cause there are going to be questions right now, as far as what is the upside, what is the long-term outlook, all that type of stuff. And Marcus Freeman now and his staff can prove that like, Hey, it was a tough start, but we're, good enough coaches and we are at, sure. we are great coaches that we can make those adjustments and we can figure it out and we could still put our imprint on this program right. and get everybody around here excited. And if Notre Dame ends the season after starting off 0 and 2 and losing to a Marshall team, if they can end the season 9 and 3, 10 and 2 if they run the table right. and go to a decently major bowl game, at, you know, then I think you can kind of get that optimism back a little bit. So, I agree with you. I think that this is I would argue that it's it's I, I've always felt this, Ryan. It's always better to to have your struggles early and then finish strong. You know, and, and an example is you compare Notre Dame in 2017 compared to USC in 2016. They both they both finished the regular season nine and three. Yeah. But there was so much energy and in and, and the loss that they had to Bama 52 to six, I think is what it was at the beginning of the season, is no different. Then the loss Notre Dame had to Miami. And then you look at USC's other losses, and none of them were like Georgia in 2017 for Notre Dame, right? They didn't lose a, a, a 20 to 19 game to the eventual national runner up. You know, USC lost to Stanford by 17 and lost to Utah. And, you know, that was a year in which Utah was a nice team, went nine and four. You know, they were okay, they weren't great. But, you know, those were their losses. But then they went on a roll, finished 9-3. and three. A year later, Notre Dame has the exact same regular season record, and it's doom and gloom, right? Yes. At the end of the year, because they lost late. They won or, you know, they they were got up to number three in the polls. They lost to Georgia and then went on a roll and then lost in, twice in November, got blown out, you know, uh, by Miami and the and late in the year and all that and it so I think the perception was different even though the record was identical the both went on to yep. win their bowl game USC beat Penn State in a, in a bowl in the Rose Bowl and their name went on to beat LSU in the the uh, Camping World Bowl now a little different quality of bowl game there uh, <laughs> but you, you get the point that I'm making so 
Ryan, when I look at it, I think that the reputation thing is important, not just from Marcus Freeman's perception, but from a recruiting standpoint. It's also yes. very important. And, you know, they, to get some of that momentum back and and look at it and say, hey, look, this is we're still on on course. Because if you run the table, especially if you run the table and that's going to be a challenge. I mean, it's a very big challenge. But if you run the table, Ryan, you can look back and say, hey, we had a bad day. We had a mm-hmm. bad day against Marshall and and we were still evolved, blah, 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 you know, but we got rolling, we got it fixed. And yep. I think it really helps with mo- recruiting momentum as well. And, and and then you get into some other things that are at stake. It, it, in order to accomplish that type of finish where you have that energy, there's a couple other things at stake for Notre Dame that in the, in the final eight games that are important. Number one, big game wins. Notre Dame is going to have a chance for two wins over top 10 teams at the end of the season. Now, will Clemson stay in the top 10? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that later today because they've got a big game coming up today. The only top 10 matchup of the weekend, Ryan, is happening in the ACC, and it involves the Tigers uh, down at Clemson. Yeah. You know, there's a. I, I think they'll be top 10 by the time they play Notre Dame. I think USC showed us that they can gr- win, win some gritty games and, and tough games and their offense isn't clicking like they did last week against Oregon State. Will they be in the top 10 by the time their name heads out to California? We'll find out, but they got a chance. But there's two opportunities, in my opinion, right, for Notre Dame to get some big, big wins. And there's no excuse this year, right? I mean, there's no, it's, well, it's the COVID year or they were missing some of their best players. I mean, barring a bunch of injuries happening at Clemson and USC, those are going to be big opportunities. And I think that's just, what one thing Marcus Freeman needs to do, Ryan, is do things Brian Kelly never did. That's how you kind of say, "Hey, this is why it's glad that you mo- you're glad that they moved on." Losing to Ohio State—that's I would argue that somebody like somebody joked one time, or not said one time, but tried to criticize Mark Freeman, like, "Well, Brian Kelly would have never blown a 21 point lead in the in the Fiesta Bowl." And I was like, "Brian Kelly never would have had a 21 point lead in the Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> like, the guy never—they were never competitive in those type of games." Same thing with Ohio State. You know, that's a game in the past that Notre Dame kind of gets run off the field in a lot of instances against a team that's a high-octane offense like that. So I think I look at it that way, but, you know, that's a chance. And then the second part, Ryan, is you need to kind of run the table to have a chance to go to a major bowl and potentially get that major bowl victory, which is another thing that has eluded Notre Dame, not just the Brian Kelly era, but the Charlie Weiss era, the Ty Willingham era, the Bob Davey era. And the last few years of the Lou Holtz era, Notre Dame has not won a major bowl game since it beat Texas A&M following the 1993 season. That's a long time. And so there's still a lot at stake for Notre Dame. And all of that, Ryan, not only deals with the the perception of, of the Notre Dame football program, but even more importantly, if Marcus Freeman can be the guy in year one to kind of chop down some of those, some of those narratives that that adds to the perception and reputation, which then makes him an even stronger coach and the staff even stronger when you hit the recruiting trail. And when he tries to go out and continue building a staff as coaches leave, as coaches leave every staff. Yes. Yep. There's a I mean, there's a lot at stake to your point, Brian. Like it, there's a lot. It, it, I obviously I co- cover recruiting here at Irish Breakdown. Right. And you've seen again beginning of the season or before the season started hard to be as optimistic as you as 
the level that we were at kind of at this point, right? Because, I mean, Notre Dame for a long time had the number one recruiting class. They've been steadily in the top three. Now they're kind of fighting to get back into that top five type of fights, right? Because there's been a couple decommitments right before the season or one before the season started and one during the season. We expect that to get back on the right track in, in the you know, pretty pretty near future over the next month or so. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that some shine is off the recruiting side of things, right? We know that Notre Dame right now, Marcus Freeman and the rest of the staff, they, they have some dynamic recruiters on the staff. But at the end of the day, how you build, how you truly build a reputation on the recruiting trail is not just by what the coaches can sell. Cause we know they could sell, right? Like Marcus Freeman could sell me a car right now. And I don't even know if he's ever sold a car before. Like he could do that. He's got great charisma. He's a great leader. He's got great, you know, great, just kind of aura around him. But the fact of the matter is, is in order to back up the recruiting prowess, you need to win football games, right? And I think that you're starting to see the after the win against North Carolina, I think some recruits are starting to get back on like, oh, okay, they can do this, you know? Because like, like after Marshall, I mean, we'll be honest, right? Like that's a big blow. That was a huge blow. You're just kind of like, oh. And I know for a fact that some recruits are probably just like standing there like, oh, man, that's not great. <laughs> like that's a, that's not a good look, man. Like the Freeman era is supposed to be much different than this, right? So I think that – taking a big step and they have a chance to your point, like to do something that Brian Kelly never did. Right. If they, if they end up running the table and beating a Clemson and being a USC two top 10 wins in one season, that's a nice starting point, man. And that's a nice project trajectory. I think we need to remember that Marcus Freeman is not going to be, he's not going to be graded fully based upon what he does in one season, right? This is a entirety of what you do during a tenure as a program. So Taking that step, I think, would be massive. And then to your point, Brian, like they need to make that type of run in order to qualify for one of those major bowls because there's no guarantee that a 10-2 and Notre Dame team is going to be in one of the New York New York Six Bowls. But if a 10-2 and team that has has wins over Clemson and USC, like that's where it starts to get like, oh, yeah, they might have a very good opportunity at that point. I'd be shocked if a ten, if a Notre Dame ten and two team like to your point with this because yeah. we've seen a Notre Dame ten and two team not make a major bowl game. It happened in two thousand and nineteen. I mean, it, yep. but that year, to your point, to Ryan's point, that year their biggest win that year was over Navy. I mean, that's the only ranked team they beat all year. This year, you'd have to have a win over USC. You'd have to have a win over Clemson. You'd have to have a win over BYU. So I think that that is a that that would be a much different looking resume than the one they had in 20. They didn't deserve to play in a major bowl in 2019. This team would at that point in time, to your point. And I, I think you're right, that, and I agree with you, that no coach is going to be defined by his first season. Hmm. However, I do think a lack of a success in your first season is something that can put a anchor around your neck that you just can never recover from. And that's another that's reason fair. why finishing very strong is important because you you need to make sure that you don't lose all that momentum that you had because the schedule doesn't get any easier next year right and so you can't lose players you got to have that we talk a lot about recruiting but i think there's a there's a a trust in the team that they're trying to build as well okay we bought in and then we come out and we go eight and four something that none of the players on this team have ever experienced i mean the worst regular season record that any of the guys on this team has experienced is nine and three and that's only the guys that are sixth-year seniors, like Josh yeah. Lug, right? The rest of them, the worst regular season record they've experienced is 10-2. So you, you've got to show that, hey, guys, we are turning the corner. We had a rough start, but we are turning the corner. And I think that's important So for this team and to I, get to, Ryan. 
I think recruiting also extends past to your points. I, I heard you make kind of a brief statement on it, but we're talking about recruiting of high school players. I also have to talk about recruiting the roster that you have, right? Because the biggest thing now, Brian, is with the transfer portal the way it is now, where it's so easy for players to just leave and come in as they choose. We have seen when a coaching staff can get dysfunctional or there is lack of belief in a coaching staff, players will just go to the portal and it's a max a mass exodus right. at that point, right? Notre, Notre Dame, in order to maintain the level of talent that they have on the roster currently, also needs to prove that they're heading in the right direction because it is just so much easier nowadays for a player to just be like, oh, nope, this isn't going the way I want it. I'm right. out of here. You know, like right. I don't need to be a part of this. So to your point, you're recruiting not only the high school kids that are going to be a part of the future successes of Notre Dame, you're also recruiting the core. And I heard you say that the core of what you have on your mm -hmm. roster that you're trying to build around, because we've talked about the core, right? Like there's a lot of sophomores on the offensive side of the football, especially that are playing a lot of football this year, right? Like that's kind of your core moving forward past 2022 into 2023 and losing some momentum might cause may cause a couple of those kids to rethink just what the future is with the program. So to your point, it's a full scope. It's not just high school recruiting as well. Right. Yeah, and, and and yeah, there's a lot I want to say about that last part, Ryan. Not directed toward you, but just yeah. how what you do on the field is going to impact how recruits view you. Like if you have a top hundred receiver who's really talented, and you keep playing walk-ons and guys that can't get open past five yards, then other kids are going to notice that and be like, "Yeah, I'm not sure if that's what I want to do." Right. So that's a, another conversation, and that kind of leads into a little bit of a segue. I think for Notre Dame to maximize their potential, it's not just about keep doing what you're doing. You've got to be better than what you've been. The last two weeks were very good. You did what you needed to do to beat Cal and North Carolina, but you can't play like that and run the table. There are teams good enough to beat you if you play the way you did the last two games. Not many, but there are. So if Notre Dame is going to run the table, there's a big difference between 10 and 4 or 10 and 2 and 8 and 4. Big difference in many, many ways, Ryan. And so for me, there are certain people on this team that have to step up. And when we mean step up, it's not so much guys that aren't playing well in every instance. As some guys are are just getting into the lineup, they have to emerge. We're going to talk about a coach. Some guys are playing well, but they need to kind of take their game to another level. There's all types of different ways to this. But to me, there are six players and one coach that to me – are at the top of my list as far as guys that need to step up in order for Notre Dame to maximize their run. Now, we could talk about Marcus Freeman as being one of those, but I'm going to kind of focus more on the, the, the people underneath him. He ultimately is responsible for all of this because he's the head coach. That's the standard we held Brian Kelly to, and that's the standard we're going to hold Marcus Freeman to. That's the way you should it should be. It's up to the head coach to say to the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, D-line coach, O-line coach, receivers coach, DBs coach, say, hey, this is what I'm expecting you to do. Now go get it done. And mm -hmm. at the very top of my list of people that got to step up down the stretch and some people in the chat are already on it, it's offensive coordinator Tommy Reese. And it is a threefold thing, right? Number one, his responsibility as the quarterback's coach is very important. He's got to get Drew Pine going. We'll talk about Drew here in a minute. That's very, very important. He's got to adjust the offense around the talent that he has, not what he had or what he wants the offense to be, right? And that means who are your most talented players? Identify them and then say, we've got to figure out ways to get them going. The other part of it, Ryan, is you've got to look at it and say, okay, this is who our quarterback is. 
not who we want it to be, not who it was. This is who our quarterback is. And we've mm-hmm. got to make sure that we tail- use this bye week to tailor the offense to fit what Drew Pine does. Part of fitting what Drew Pine does is making sure that you're, ex- you're, you're, alt- you're adjusting your personnel to fit who he is and what he does well. If he doesn't step up and make the necessary changes personnel-wise, schematically, and all that, Notre Dame will be good down the stretch, but they will not win out. Tommy Reese has to step up and do better than he's done the first month of the season and stop being stubborn. I'm not going to go on another rant today. If you want to hear me rant, you can listen to yesterday's. Make the necessary personnel changes. Stop making excuses for why you're not doing what you need to do as a coach, okay? And get it done because if he does, then how people talk about Tommy Reese is going to change because, Ryan, I think you and I agree. Tommy Reese, when it comes to X's and O's, is a wicked smart dude. But what Tommy Reese is learning and needs to learn now, like he need to have learned it the last week, is it does not matter in today's game how smart you are. You don't win games because of how smart you are as a coach. You win games because of your ability to get your most talented players ready to play at their best level, right? And if your system is such that you can't get your best, your most talented players in the field because it's too complicated, you're the problem, not them. And so if he makes those adjustments and brings his intelligence and says, but we got to figure out a way to get our best person in the field, and you mesh those two things together, by the end of the year, people are going to be talking about, wow, wow, this is the Tommy Reese that we've heard other people talk about. He's capable of getting there, but it's going to take him to make, it's going to require him to make some adjustments, Ryan. And I don't know if he's capable of that. We're going to find out over the next eight weeks, but I think, I know he's capable of it. I'm not, we're going to find out if he's willing to do it. There's the difference. He's capable of doing it, no doubt. Is he willing to do it? That's the question we're going to find out in these next eight weeks. It's the million dollar question, man. I mean, to your point, Brian, like I talked to a quarterback coach a couple weeks ago that is very respected on, you know, kind of trains high school recruits and NFL draft, um, NFL draft prospects as well. And he talked about Tommy Reese with me and he told me, you know, just point blank. He's like, Tommy's one of the smartest guys I've ever had a conversation with. Like he knows his X's and O's. He knows the nuances of playing the position, all that good stuff. Right. But to really be a great coach, to not just be a, maybe a good play caller or a smart offensive guy, you have to be able to take what your players do best and accentuate those strengths, right? Build an offense around the talent that you do have, to your point, right? So it's it's a huge moment for Tommy Reese because let's talk about the perception, right? The perception before the bowl game last year leading into this season was that Tommy Reese was kind of shackled a little bit by Brian Kelly, and he was just kind of limited in what he wanted to do and what his imprint was on the offense. Well, that excuse is out the door. We know that Marcus Freeman has said, like, hey, Tommy, this is you, man. Like, I'm going to be the guy up top. I'm going to help and, and give my input where I need where I need it to be. But at the end of the day, this is your offense, right? Like, this is what you want to build. This is what you want it to look like. So with all that understood and kind of out on the table, this is a – Big moment for Tommy Reese to prove that he can take not only his scheme, but he can mold his scheme around the players that are best, give the team the best ability to win a football game, right? So I agree. I know there's a lot of people that have negativity over Tommy Reese right now, and and I get it. You know, there's a couple poorly called football games to start this year, and I I completely understand, right? We've seen an ability to make changes that we think are best for this team. So I completely get the skepticism around him right now. All I'm saying is that the baseline – 
is that he's a very smart guy. The baseline is that he does know X's nose. And the baseline is that we've seen spurts of him calling a really good football game. But in order for him to go to take that baseline and tangibly turn it into a really good coach, a guy that people can really kind of look at and say, this is, you know, this is what we all were hoping for. He's got to be able to make those adjustments. Coaches are judged by the adjustments that they make. And that's what we need to see from Tommy down the later stages of the season. The last 10 games, uh, sorry, the last eight games, plus hopefully a, a major bowl game. We have to see Tommy Reese take that next step. Absolutely nailed it. And and here's a, we have a super chat. We're not doing a mailbag today, but if we get a super chat, we'll bring it up. And this one is, is certainly pertinent to the conversation we're having. Jamjell says, since you guys are on Reese, Dell was rightfully criticized for how he recruited and developed wide receivers. Hasn't Tommy Reese put the quarterback room in a similar spot? And I would say, yeah, he has. I think when you look at the 2019 season, Notre Dame had a, a Notre Dame had a shot at KJ Jefferson, and they chose not to go there. They had Cade McNamara committed, and then they went to Brendan Clark. Right now, Cade McNamara is is was benched and is the backup quarterback in Michigan, and Brendan Clark is not playing at start as this is not starting quarterback at Old Dominion. So yeah, I, I think that's very fair. You look at how last year's quarterback recruiting situation was handled with. You know, not making a run at Cade Klubnik, who had interest in Notre Dame, not making a run at Sam Horn, who had interest in Notre Dame, making a very late run at Drew Aller in a in a situation where you would have had a really good chance at him if you got on him early. And then you settle for Steve Angeli, and then you try to convince us that Steve Angeli is the guy you wanted all along. It's nonsense. Steve Angeli is a good football player, but you had a chance to have a guy with a much higher ceiling than Steve Angeli. And we've seen this kind of happen year after year after year. And then you get a guy like Tyler Buckner and, you know, he doesn't get developed and you're trying to run an offense that doesn't really matter, that just didn't make any sense. And then you look at the 2023 recruiting and we're in a similar boat, right? Yep. You completely misread the Dante Moore situation, right? And you, you didn't get it done. Now, I don't completely fault the staff for that, but you and I knew that the dad was a, a, a factor. Notre Dame was late getting there. And so, you know, the kid was committed and all those other type of things. And and so now you're in a situation where you're having names thrown out. And I'm like, that can't be the guy you go after in 23. You have to try to flip somebody. You can't go after these guys. You can't have another year in which you bring in a guy that just isn't a starter at cal caliber player at Notre Dame or isn't a championship caliber player at Notre Dame. And it happens a lot, Cham Joe. You're absolutely right. And then, you know – you haven't developed the players you've you've had, you know that that have had that ability. So, I think that's very fair. And, and yes, he got CJ Carr in twenty twenty four. That's great, but you can't go from twenty one to twenty four is the time in between when you land big time quarterbacks. You just can't do it. Ohio State gets a kid like that every year, almost, right? And and then the years they don't, they get a kid like Brock Glenn, who's a very low floor but high ceiling guy. Right. You can take yep. a chance on a guy like Brock Glenn because in the three previous years, you got C.J. Stroud, Kyle McCord, and Devin Brown. Now, I think Devin and Brown's overrated, but he's still a good player. But if in a three-year stretch, Devin Brown is your third-best quarterback, you're doing pretty flipping well. And when C.J. Stroud leaves and he's a top-five NFL draft pick, Kyle McCord's going to step into the starting lineup, and he's going to shred the two years after that, and then he's going to be a top-ten NFL draft pick because you get those kids every year. And to me, that's where, where I look at with Notre Dame and, and the quarterback room is, is problematic. Now, I want to see I, I want to see Coach Reese fix that and change that and all those other type of things. But the reality is, Ryan, yeah, the quarterback room is not in a great place and hasn't been in a great place for a while from a development and a standpoint and a recruiting standpoint. Now, I don't put all of that on Tommy Reese because, again, if your head coach 
who is considered your offensive guy and your quarterback guru is not willing to do the work as a recruiter, then it's gonna it's gonna hurt you, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's Tom Reese has had to deal with that, where there were quarterbacks that you needed the head coach, like Caleb Williams expressed some interest in Notre Dame, but if the head coach doesn't want to recruit you, you're not getting Caleb Williams without the head coach. Now I don't think Notre Dame gets Caleb Williams anyway, right. but you don't even try. And and we could we could just kind of play this game all day. So yes, but at some point in time, you know Brian Kelly stops getting the blame for what's happening, and you have to start looking at the people that are here now. And mm-hmm. and Coach Reese has an opportunity to overcome that, and he needs because <clears throat> I get that CJ Carr is a great player, and unless sure. CJ Carr reclassifies, you're going to need a quarterback in 2023, and you can't say, well, we have CJ Carr in 24, so we can just bring in a depth guy in 23. No, you can't. Because, A, you don't know, uh, last I checked, C.J. Carr, unless he reclassifies, still can't sign a letter of intent for over a year. You have mm-hmm. no clue what's going to happen. And you have no clue if he's going to get injured, if something's going to happen. I mean, there's there's so many different things that could happen. Now, I think the world is C.J. Carr. But, again, he still has a year and a half of high school football left unless he reclassifies. And even if he reclassifies, there's uncertainty. You can't just say, well, we got this kid, so we can just bring in depth in other years. No, you go and get the best kid available every single year with the understanding that realistically, every three or four years, we're going to have to bring in somebody like, like Ohio State did with Brock Glenn, who may not be to the level of the other guys, but this is just where we're at because we had we were so good the three years. That's the problem I've seen Notre Dame have. Why did they bring in this three-star quarterback? Because they signed three, five stars in a row, and they couldn't get anybody in this year's class. Oh, cool. All right, cool. You know, and, and so – that's the frustrating thing. But again, Tom Reese could help himself by putting a better product on the field. Put a better product on the field and it's going to make it easier. The best way to put a better product on the field, make sure your best players are on the field. So it all goes back to that. And and that kind of leads into the next player that's got to really step up, and that's Drew Pine. And this mm-hmm. is going to be a big part of this too now. Drew Pine needs to be given an offense that fits what he does, and he needs to have the best players. If you don't put your most talented players on the field, and tailor your offense to fit Drew Pine, then you're not putting Drew Pine in position to be successful. Either way, there's a lot on Drew Pine. He has to be able to run this offense, and we saw him do this against North Carolina. Now, the question, Ryan, is was that him just shredding a bad defense, or is that the beginning of Drew kind of really taking this thing over and saying, okay, I can. this is who I am, and you can win a lot of games with me? That's mm-hmm. what we're going to find out. And how well Drew plays is going to have a big – so when we say step up, it's not that Drew hasn't stepped up. I think Drew stepped up pretty well. Bounced back from a rough start against Cal, led them to a victory over a now 3-1 and one football team. Had a, a an excellent game against North Carolina. So I'd say Drew has started to step up. But for the next eight games, he's going to have to play even better and maintain a level of a level of excellence, Ryan, especially if his, head, if his offensive coordinator handicaps him and puts one hand behind his back by not putting the best players on the field. Yep. So Drew's going to have to really be at his best in these next eight games if Notre Dame wants to go and run the table. You have some momentum on the Drew Pine side, I think, Brian. Like, like it's a it's a fair point. Like, was it Drew doing you know taking a step forward and being more confident, or was it shredding a, a bad North Carolina defense? To your credit, my my response is doesn't really matter. It happens, right? And that could be a huge confidence boost and a huge momentum boost for Drew Pine because you mentioned it before Drew might be one of those guys that may think he's better than he actually is right and that helps right because when your confidence starts exuding out a little bit 
that's when you really start playing well, when you're playing confident, when you're in rhythm. So whether it was the result of Drew Pine turning a corner, it was the result of Drew Pine playing a bad defense moving forward, what we saw last week is what Drew Pine thinks he is, right? And that's in his mind, and that's what you have to now accentuate. Now, this is that this is back to Tommy Reese for a second, because now he has to take what momentum he built last week and give Drew the tools in order to continue that success. But I do feel pretty confident where Drew is here, you know, because I think that there is look, there's limitations with Drew Pine at quarterback. We've talked about that. I'm not never going to kind of turn away from that. It is what it is. But Drew Pine can still be a successful and good quarterback on this level. We've seen it in spurts. We saw it last week. What Drew needs to do now is to play confident, to get in rhythm, and hopefully not have the jitters early in games because we saw it in the Cal game where it just seemed like he was just a little bit pressing, a little bit off, a little bit tight. And last game, the tightness came off a little bit. So now, taking that momentum he has last week, I hope Drew is kind of – it's not cockiness, it's confidence, right? Like he thinks he's a he thinks he's a really good quarterback, and that's awesome. You need to have that self-confidence in yourself. Take what you did last week, and I hope we see from the first snap against BYU that Drew is comfortable and he feels like, hey, I turned a corner last uh, two weeks ago, man. Like I can do this thing now. As long as Tommy Reese puts him in a solid position, I think he continue having success. But to your point, Brian, like, hey, man, just believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Right. As we saw last week against a bad defense, sure. But when you when you really do have confidence in yourself, I think Drew Pine could be a really a, a good starting quarterback. On this but that's team. what you're supposed to do against a bad defense. Sure. I mean, that's the whole point. It's like you say, wow, yeah. North Carolina's defense sucks. It does suck. That's why they call it get right games, man. Right, yeah, exactly. exactly. But Drew did what you're supposed to do against a defense that sucks. He took what was there, he made some plays, and he he, lim- he didn't make the big mistakes, right? And there were some misses, but he didn't make the big mistakes. And so, we what, what where I where I want to focus on they suck is we don't know that this team has arrived because North Carolina sucks, but that doesn't take away from how they played against North Carolina because they did play hard for the most part. They did come out and do what they needed to do. They can't control that the other team sucks, right? I mean, Marshall isn't that good. I mean, we hyped up Marshall about they're really good for their level, but that should have yeah. been a 30-point game, right? Mm-hmm. And they didn't do what they needed to do. If they'd have played against Marshall the way they played against North Carolina, they'd have won by 20 points. You know, I mean, so so again, this isn't just, well, well they finally played a bad team. No, they played a bad team and did what you're supposed to do to bad teams. They dominated them. And that bad team was 3-0. and So uh, bad defense is what we should say. They're not a bad team. They're a bad defense. They have a really good offense. Yep. So I, I give them credit for that. And another guy on offense that needs to step up, and it's kind of along the same lines, is, is Lorenzo Styles. Lorenzo has not played well this year. He has not played his potential, and there's a lot of things going on. I think there's a lot of things in his head. I think that, that he put a lot of pressure on himself to be the guy because he needed to be at wide receiver. I think they they and and, and I'm not going to fault the staff for this because we were advocating for this as well. Yes. I think they put a little too much on his plate that he was ready for early by moving him around a lot of different positions. I'm not going to necessarily fault the staff for that because I I thought I thought Lorenzo was ready to be that guy and he wasn't. And I think another part of it too is Lorenzo is just there's something going on in his head that's keeping him from playing as hard as he needs to play. And, and, and we'll kind of get to, we, we won't talk a lot about some of the things they need to do schematically with him. Cause we talked about that yesterday, which yep. to Eric Pruitt's point in the chat, 
is playing more in the slot. Eric, we discussed that yesterday. I don't want to repeat kind of our yesterday show, but I think that, that yes, the coaching needs to alter with Lorenzo, but more importantly, Lorenzo's got to step up in the second half of the, of, of like in this last kind of two thirds of the season, because we've seen him drop balls that were easy where he was open. We've seen him kind of go half speed on routes where he didn't think he was getting the ball. We've seen him not really accelerate towards big play opportunities. We have not seen Lorenzo play the way we think Lorenzo Styles is capable. We've seen flashes of it, but he's got to grow up quickly. And this is putting a lot on a sophomore, but Lorenzo needs to kind of have a different mindset in these final eight games because he's too good to have five catches for 69 yards against a bad defense be his breakout game of the season. He's too good. And so him becoming the guy he's capable of being is another guy that I think needs to step up down the stretch for Notre Dame, Ryan. I know we were big fans of him, Brian. I mean, I I was kind of you know pounding the table for Lorenzo offseason because I think that he has everything. You know, like I mean, to the point. Yes, he's looked really good in the slot when he's had his reps in there. Like, there's no doubt about it. But I I still think that Lorenzo has the type of profile where like he doesn't have to just be a slot receiver, man. Like, I still think that he can win on the outside. It's just. I think he's pressing a little bit. Like, I think that he's putting a little too much pressure on himself internally, if I'm being completely honest. Because, I mean, let, let, let's let's point this out for, real quick, Brian, right? Like, they haven't been able to capitalize on Brain Lindsay getting some opportunities down the field. So he hasn't been a huge factor in finishing plays. Brain Lindsay's speed is still a factor on the field. But having Avery Davis out, I think, was a big blow for this offense, right? Having kind of that short separator, consistent football player, and the leadership aspect of everything. Jane Thomas has been banged up. Deion Colsey's been banged up. They haven't played Tobias Merriweather. The whole wide receiver unit as a whole has not taken that step that we thought that they possibly could. And I think that that's put even more pressure on Lorenzo Styles because we, I mean, either way, I was expecting him to be developed into the number one option, and then everybody else kind of becomes a, you know, a, a, a contributor, but not like the hot, the number one volume getter in the offense from a passing game perspective at wide receiver. So I think that the fact that other people also haven't stepped up or injuries have happened have also hurt Lorenzo Styles because he's now even pressing more than he probably would be just to be the number one role. So a lot has been put on his plate. He has not responded in certain instances, but I think that you saw some flashes last week of going in Mm -hmm. the right direction, but it needs to take a massive step up. It does because the talent level there is undeniable. Lorenzo Styles is a very – very talented football player, and he could still be that guy. Because I think one thing that we maybe I didn't put enough emphasis on in the preseason was the fact that, like, hey, and I mentioned it a couple times, but Notre Dame was depending on offense on a lot of sophomores, man, yeah. and that can be that can be scary in a little sure. bit, right? Because there's a little it, bit of volatility for younger it, guys. It can like be, it can yeah. be, but the thing with him is he wasn't being asked to be the guy. Period. He was asked to be the guy at receiver. The guy is still Michael Mayer. And to me, my frustration with Lorenzo is I can understand you pressing the drop. The drop against Cal isn't something that bothered me. The thing that bothers Mm -hmm. me about Lorenzo is the place where he's just not running. He's not even going hard because he's not going to be – he doesn't think he's going to be a target. I don't know what that is. And that's the kind of stuff that that frustrates me when looking at him. But we saw a better version of that against North Carolina. I would say – he is one of the three players I was most encouraged by in that game because we did see him doing that. Now, part of that was being put in the slot. And yeah. I think if they can if they can make that move permanently where he spends more of his snaps in the slot than he does outside, I think that's going to be benefit him a great deal. 
Doesn't mean he yes. can't have some snaps outside, but at least for the next couple of games, you need to make him a slot guy. Get him comfortable and, that, and then yes, put more exactly. on his plate as he gets exactly. that comfort. Exactly. Yeah. And then you can do more with him. You can move him around. You can motion him. You can do some different things with him. You can do some stack stuff. There's a lot you can do in that regard. The last guy on offense, and then we did have a super chat I want to address about Drew Pine, but the last guy on offense needs to step up, Ryan, and we're not going to talk too much about this because we did address a little bit yesterday, is I think that the left side of the offensive line is playing really well. I think that Zeke Carell is ascending and and is going to be a a solid football player the last eight games. I think a guy that holds the key to this offensive line, and you could argue one of two guys, but I'm going to go with Blake Fisher. I think Blake Fisher, for me, is the key to this offensive line really taking that next step and becoming the unit we discussed yesterday, which is really still the backbone of this football team. And, And I think that Josh just needs to be steady. Joe Walt has been really brilliant the last two games. Like he's, he's, in four games, he's now looking like the guy we thought he could be this year, Ryan. And he's mm-hmm. coming off two really good games, and especially against North Carolina. Jared Patterson has gotten better each game, and Z Curl's gotten better each game. If Blake can play to his potential on a more consistent basis, that's the key for me for this offensive line really becoming something special down this down the stretch of the season. So I think he's another guy that needs to step up. He's been he's been really up and down. He was pretty bad the first two games was inconsistent against Cal, had some really bad snaps and some good snaps. He was better against North Carolina. Still had some mistakes here and there, but better. If he can keep climbing by the time this team gets November, Blake could be a guy that you're looking at saying, hey, you know, remember how good Joe Alt was? We're now having a conversation about who their best tackle is. And if we can be having that conversation in November, Ryan, this offensive line is going to be really good. And that's going to be something that's going to take a lot of pressure off of Drew Pine and a lot of pressure off the running backs, and it's going to make this team really dangerous here in the next eight games, Ryan. What say you? I think for the identity factor too, Brian, because like what does Notre Dame want to be? They want to be a physical football team, right? Like they that, that they want that to be a little bit of their offensive identity. We talked about the three running backs yesterday. We've talked about the maturation of the offensive line, especially the last game against North Carolina. I think for what Notre Dame wants to be, it's kind of exemplified by Blake Fisher a little bit, man, because I mean, you look at Joe Walt, Joe Walt's just been so good the last couple of games, man. Like he, but he's one of those players that you can kind of just lose, like lose um, attention to him at times. Cause you're just like, he's just so steady. Like he just doesn't give up a ton, right? You're like, okay, there he is just doing his job. And you don't really talk about him much. I think there's a couple of players on the offensive line that are the same, you know, they just do their job and they do it well for the most part. But Blake Fisher Although it's very up and down right now, he at times will be, I think, the tone setter of this offensive line. When Blake Fisher takes a down block and can just drive a guy off the screen on the all 22, like that's the type of physicality and that's the type of effort that you see. And when you see that, that gets everybody juiced, man. Like that gets running backs juice, that gets the sideline juice, that gets fans juice. I think for me, Blake Fisher can be the tone setter of this offensive line. And this this hasn't changed despite him being a little up and down and Joel being pretty fantastic for most part of the season. Blake Fisher has the most upside on this offensive line by a pretty wide margin, in my opinion. Like, if he hits his ceiling, he is arguably the best offensive lineman in college football. Like, I think he has that type of upside to him, right? So he needs to be that tone setter. He needs to be kind of the trend setter. He needs to lead this offense and give that physicality. Because when he lo- when he looks like himself, when he is driving guys off the football – 
Notre Dame's a better football team because they, yeah. they guys can rally around that type of play and that type of style. Yeah. It's a temperament that he can play with that I think can really show the Notre Dame uh, offense in general and team that like, hey, we need to get behind that guy. We need to do it. Right. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's answer this question here real quick that we had from uh, Milton fan with Super Chat. Thank you, Milton fan. I think Drew Pine running is underrated thoughts. Uh, I guess I don't really know how to answer that because I can only speak for myself. I think Drew Pine uh, is what we have said all along. He is a guy that can move the chains. He is a legitimate threat to move the chains as a runner. And we saw that against North Carolina, Ryan, where he kind of had that weird spin out, but then found a hole and, and ran for eight, you know, for 12 yards to convert on the third and eight. We saw it later in the game when they were overcommitting to the run. He pulls it, he runs, and converts another third down with his leg. So I think he is a, a guy that's a chain mover. What we have said all along and what I still believe to be true is he is not the kind of runner that impacts how a defense game plans for you, which mm-hmm. can be used to your advantage at, in certain spots. But you can get like one or two plays a game with him, right, and where you can yeah. steal some yards on one or two plays. He's not a guy you're going to build your game plan around his legs. I think more importantly for me is I don't think it's as running that's underrated. What I think is important in what we saw against North Carolina is when he is playing the game he needs to play and he's comfortable in the system, comfortable in himself and all that, his pocket mobility is really important where he'll climb the pocket or he'll step out of a sack and get the ball off or or be willing to kind of take a couple steps back like we saw against Carolina, see the pressure, take a couple steps back to buy time and then get that ball off to Michael Mayer over the middle. Those are the type of things to me that are where his athleticism kind of is highlighted. Not so much Mm -hmm. in the stuff like where Tyler Buckner can take take over a game with his legs. That's not Drew Pine. Drew Pine can make a play, make a play there, make a play here, make a play there. And that's really what his running is going to be about. And I I don't think we've underrated that because we've talked about that for a while. I just, I just don't think it's, so I guess it will depend on Milton on what your version of, of that means so uh, you know what your version of underrated means like i guess how good do you think he is so that would be something i have to know but i don't i don't think it's underrated i i yeah i don't know if i would say underrated because i think the impact that he has as a runner is is as an extender uh, on pass plays right like he's not a guy that you're going to run zone read a ton with he's not a guy that you're going to run power read with like he's not an extension of the run game but what he is is Look, I don't think he's as good an athlete as Ian Book, but like how Ian Book affected you with his ability as an extender is similar to what uh, what sure. Drew Pine can do a little bit, right? Like he's similar, although put- Ian's a more athletic version of it. But yes, yes, similar, yeah. yes, exactly. I mean, yeah, Ian ran like four six something at his pro day, so like he's just a little bit different of a caliber yeah. of athlete comparative sure. to Drew. But the things that he can do are similar in the sense of like, hey. Mm-hmm. Pockets closing, nobody downfield. Drew can extend the pocket and work as continuous as a passer, or he can get you a, you know, on third and five, he can get you six. Like he's that type of player, right? Like he can get mm-hmm. you a, you only need it two to three times a game, but he can be a extender of drives with his ability to run the football. But he's not, he's never going to be a run threat in the offense. It's just an extension of the passing right. game, which, you know, it's all you need. You don't need him to be. I want to get to the defense here, Ryan, as we kind of get close to wrapping up the Notre Dame part of our conversation because I really want to talk about these games today. So I'm going to try to be disciplined and stay within about an hour, an hour and 15 of the Notre Dame conversation. Three guys on defense have got to step up. We'll talk briefly about one, Isaiah Foskey. We chatted about this yesterday. Isaiah Foskey's been pretty good the last two games. I mean, pretty good. I would argue North Carolina was one of his, if not his best, all-around game of his career. It's at least in the conversation, in my opinion. 
now he needs to kind of take it to another level and have the dot the ta- he hasn't had the takeover a game thing much this year outside of Cal. I thought second half against Cal, we saw like, oh, that's the Foskey we saw last year in the Foskey that we thought we were going to see. Now we need to see that a little bit more consistently. There's going to be some games. You're going to have a hard time beating Clemson. You're going to have a hard time beating USC. You may even had a hard time beating uh beating BYU if Jason if if excuse me, if Isaiah Foskey's not playing like Isaiah Foskey. Because if he plays his game, then it, it helps everybody else. And so a couple other guys that we'll focus more on because in another one that not too much on, because we talked about it yesterday. So I want to get these out of the way so we can focus on the third guy. Cam Hart's another one. Their mm-hmm. secondary has been very good this season outside of four plays, three of which were in the North Carolina game, right? Secondary has been very good this year. While, all the while, Cam Hart is at best been their third best corner this year. At best, he's third in their corner list. And I would argue he, you could say he's fourth because I would say Camp Clarence Lewis has been more consistent. That's the point you made yesterday. They yep. need Cam Hart because it's been good so far, but the schedule ramps up. BYU, uh, Stanford has some pretty good receivers. They haven't all got hurt yet, right? And so they're still kind of healthy so far. Stanford's going to have some good, big, good receivers. Michael Wilson, right? They're going to, Humphreys, they're going to have some big kids to throw at Notre Dame, Ryan. Then you get into Clemson. Then you get into Zay Flowers of BC. You get into USC's receivers. Syracuse has got a big kid that you've, that you've talked a lot about. Aronde Gadsden Jr. Who's off to a good start this season. There's a lot of good receivers down the stretch. They're going to need Cam Hart to get back to being Cam Hart. He looked healthier last week, which is huge. Now he needs to take his game to another level, right? He's a big key for this defense. I mean, we were talking about him before the season, Brian, like about could he be a top 100 to top 50 player in next year's NFL draft? Like talent-wise, sure. I mean, 6'2 and a half, 32-inch arms, really athletic kid. Like there's all the tools are there, former wide receiver, so he's got ball skills. Like everything is there for Cam Hart. And I still played with a lot of physicality in 2021 for a guy that was a former wide receiver as well. But it just hasn't been great so far, if we're being completely honest, right? Like he's been in spurts. We've seen the Cam Hart that we expected, right? There's been moments where you're just kind of – I mean, like that near interception. Was it was it last week against North Carolina near the sideline, Brian, where you're like, mm-hmm. oh, that's Cam Hart. Like that's And he had a couple man. where he closed on a curl route. Like though, he was yeah. the guy that a lot of times was that guy where I talked yesterday where like, Luke May or Luke May, sorry, that's his brother. Drake May got to here, and all of a sudden, Cam just closed on the curl run. He was like, "Uh, I got to throw this into the ground because that dude's there already." Cam was one of the primary guys of that. So, like you said, yeah, we like okay, yeah, that's that's. And then he, you know, if he doesn't have that blown cover stand of the game, we're probably having a different opinion on how he played against North Carolina. And and that's the thing that he needs to avoid is you can't have those mental mistakes. You're, you're too good Absolutely. to have those kind of mental mistakes. And so if he can build on what he did against North Carolina in between the first and last play of the game for the defense, that was a lot of good in there, right? Yeah. But against BYU, USC, and Clemson, those are the two, those two plays could be enough to get you beat. And that's yeah. where Cam's got to get better. And you mentioned Foskey has the ability to take over a football game. I would argue that Cam Hart also has that same ability, just obviously in a different way, right? Like I think that there is – I agree, and we've talked about this before. The term shut down corners a little bit, like, over the top because, I mean, does anybody truly shut down a great receiver most times? Like, usually wide receivers going to get some, you know? Like, you're not going to win every single rep. But I do think that Cam Hart's impact, if he's 
consistent and he is healthy and he's where he needs to be is that you can limit the best receiver on another team to minimal impact. Like he has that type of upside too. So, and Notre Dame, to your point, they need him. They need him moving forward, right? Cause he's going to see a lot of good wide receivers down the stretch. A lot of good ones. There's, I mean, you talk about the trees that Clemson has the freshman Williams also out of the slot that they have that he probably won't see a ton, but you're talking about the USC wide receivers. I know they'll use Jordan Addison kind of all over the place. Ronde Gadsden's a perfect player for him because Ronde Gadsden's like six foot five, right? Like you want to have a taller guy like a Cam Hart have the ability to counteract him and limit him. So I think that he is a absolute, I, I, I would argue that he might be the number one for me because there's a lot of other players that I think are playing at a good baseline. There's some that are even overachieving. Cam Hart's the guy that we expected a lot of that we haven't really seen it and definitely not consistently this year. And if he puts it together, man, then you're talking about a, a absolute difference maker down the stretch because he has, you don't want, I mean, like, look, Benjamin Morrison's playing really good football as a freshman, but you don't want him checking Jordan Addison every play. You know what I mean? Like, you don't want that happening. You want Cam Harp to be the guy that checks the best receiver on the, on the other team. You want to have that guy because, I mean, he's a senior, right? He's played two years as a starter. He has that type of upside. He has NFL potential. Just he needs to put it together down the stretch, and I think he has a big opportunity in front of him. Last guy to me, Ryan, is Maris Lufau. I think Maris stepping up this this last eight games is huge. Now, that's a combination of Al Golden figuring out a way to use him and then build on that, right? You can't just use him as sort of a one-trick pony uh, the rest of the year. You have to be able to develop a, a more broad usage of his game. But Maris has to step up and prove that he's ready for more right now. Give him what he can handle now, but then he's got to step up and prove. Because if Maris can step up as a second-level player, and be something like what we thought it could be, that could have a huge impact on this team as well. Big time yeah. impact on this team down down the stretch as well. And I know that's a big one for you, Ryan. No, it is, man. He's he is I I think that his ability on the second level can be difference making. You know, like there's gonna be some inconsistencies as a a continuous run fill player and a consistent run fill player, but you see that the talent level is obviously there, right? Like he's six, two and a half, long arms, athletic. And you don't really have, I mean, when Prince Kali comes in the game, he's a really athletic type of player. If Jalen Sneed ever gets into the game, he's a really athletic type of player. But you don't really have difference makers that have been playing a ton of snaps on the second level at this point, right? Like you more have guys that are J.D. Bertrands that you want to be really steady, good football players. Jack Kaisers, who at his peak could be a good, steady football player. You don't really have the difference maker on the second level. I do think that Maris Loyfowl can be that. You saw it a little bit against North Carolina, which like as a delayed blitzer, working off the edge at spots, working in space a little bit more, doing those types of things. Like There is, I think, still a, a big upside that we haven't seen with Maris Loyfowl. He needs to be more consistent. He needs to be employed correctly. And I think that you saw last game – Al Golden really started understanding like, hey, what is Maris good at? And let's ask him to do the things he's good at. Because when he does the things that he's good at, he's a difference maker potentially. And he needs to be that guy down the stretch because I just don't know, Brian, of the of the main producers that we've seen on the second level, I just don't know if there's a ton of playmakers on the second level, right? So I think that Maris, Maris is a guy that needs to be that type of guy, in my opinion. Well, the- the only guy that fit would fit that mold, Ryan, would be a guy that plays the same position as Maris, and that's Prince Colley. Like JD Bertrand's not a playmaker, and no. Bo Bauer's not a playmaker. Jack Kaiser's not a playmaker. At least he hasn't been this year. 
So, yeah, I would agree with that. I would absolutely agree with that. And they need, they don't need uh, Jeremiah Usukoromo, a linebacker, but they need to be better than what they've been. That's definitely, yes. definitely true. So, I, I would, I would agree with you there, Ryan. Let's uh, let's kind of talk about some predictions, Ryan. We, you and I, kind of looked at some of the different things we we think could happen, and we're going to have some fun with this. It's kind of like our bold predictions that we do before the season, but we'll give a couple, two to three predictions on each side of the ball for the final eight games of the season, Ryan. And I'll let you kick off. Let's go offense. Give me one of your predictions that you have for this offense going down the the last eight games. Well, I think it's working off of the running back unit, right? Like, I think a, a bold prediction is I still think that all three running backs at the end of the season go over 500 yards rushing. I think that that's like kind of the baseline for me. So not 500 just from here on out. I'm saying as a whole season entire entirety and entirety, is that a word? Entirely. I don't mm-hmm. whatever. And a whole yep. season scope that we'll have three running backs to go over 500 plus yards. I thought if Tyler Buckner could stay healthy, that there might be a chance to have a fourth guy that goes over 500. But I think you really are starting to see how these players can mix and match correctly moving down the stretch of the final eight game of the season. I expect the running backs to really continue to just have that ascension. So three running backs over 500 for the rest of the season for me, 500 rushing yards or 500 yards of 500 offense? rushing yards. 500 okay. Rushing yards. Okay. Cause let's say 500 total yards. I'm like, yeah, that's, no, that's not hard. Sure. That's not hard. Yeah. That's, that's not, not hard. happening before the Clemson game <laughs> yes. with the way that they are in the past game. Yeah. That's an interesting one. I, if Logan Diggs wasn't so banged up the first three games, I'd, I'd feel even more confident in that one, but yeah, that's a good one. I like that one. I, I like that one. So for me, uh, for me, Ryan, you know, I'm going to look at it. And I think my first big one is that the, the Notre Dame offensive line will lead a ground attack that is going to average over 200 yards in the final eight games. Now, okay. will they be over 200 yards for the season? I don't know because they had some really bad early games. And I don't know if they're necessarily going to be like, they're not going to be 2017 good in the run game. But I think on, on average in the last eight games of the year that they're going to run 200 yards a game. It's It comes down to two factors for me, Ryan. One, yep. I think they're going to be better. And this fuels kind of your thing. So we're kind of playing off of each other. Number two, they play some teams that are really bad at stopping the run. Even some of the good teams they play are not good at stopping the run. It, mainly the team they play a week from now, BYU. They're not good stopping the run. They've already had, I think, three opponents, I believe, already this year, Ryan, have gone for over 200 yards rushing. Uh, I, I believe – I know Utah State did. I believe Oregon did. I'm actually going to look that up now. Yes, two opponents have already gone over 200. Oregon went for 212. Utah State went for 204. Baylor went for 152. They're not good stopping the run. I think Notre Dame is going to have success in that part of it then as well. So that is my first sort of bold prediction. Notre Dame will average 200 rushing yards per game. It's another one that you have for the offense here over the final eight games of the season. Over the final eight games, Notre Dame gives up 15 or less sacks for the remaining eight games. So I think pass protection-wise is going to be really good down the stretch. And I think that we saw last week Drew Pine has comfortability, but he also has a little bit of extension. So I think he might get himself out of a sack or two. I think Notre Dame's pass protection is going to be fantastic down the stretch. I like it. I like it. I would even say I'd be even so bold as to say that it would be closer to 10 than 15. If you so know I throw I mean? in 15 or less, man, I got to cover my bases. To almost to a game, you know? Uh, so, but uh, yeah, I, I would, I like that one. I'm going to make a real bold one. I am going to give my final vote of confidence to Tommy Reese, my final vote of confidence. And if he, if he lets me down here, 
I'm I'm done. Notre Dame's second leading pass catcher at the receiver position down the stretch. Lorenzo Styles will catch more passes amongst the receivers in the final eight games than anybody. Number two, it's going to be Tobias Merriweather. Now, I don't know if it's going to happen in game one, but by the end of the, by the end of the, from here on out, so it's just for the final eight games, he is going to be the second leading receiver at, at for Notre Dame. Now, that's not exactly like a really bold take. Braden Lindsay, who's a fifth year senior in four games, has seven catches. He's number two right now. Right. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you've got Matt Salerno with three and Jaden Thomas with three. Okay. That, that, that's, that's it. But that means that they're going to play him. And then he's going to he's going to have at least ten catches, in my opinion, in the final eight games. I'm going to say closer to fifteen in the final eight games because I think he will play. Whether he's forced to play him, whether someone gets injured, whatever the case may be, he will get him in the game, and we will see Tobias start to make some plays. Um, maybe that's me projecting what should happen onto what will happen, but that's what I'm going with. Okay, love it. And I love like it. I like this one down. Well, let me. Do you have another Ryan? For bold prediction, not, not for all fans. Because I, I, I have a good one here. Irishman seven one one four says Braden Lindsay will have five fifty plus yard touchdowns by the end of the season. He should I'll have say that already. This. Yes. <laughs> if Tommy Reese makes the adjustments he needs to make personnel wise and schematically to fit Drew Pine's talent, this should happen. Because there are some things, Ryan, you and I, and I'm not going to say them on the show because you know I don't want people to think that you know just in case some of these things are things that Nerdy's thinking about. There are some things as I'm thinking about the way they've used the backs, there -hmm. are some things that a a really smart offensive coordinator, which I believe Tom Reese is, could look at those and say, you know what, I think we can use those backs and tight ends to do some things to get Braden Lindsey free on some Mm -hmm. big plays. Now, he may use Lorenzo Styles in those instances. I'd hope not because I think they need to to get Braden going somehow. So I could could see that. I could definitely see that. Love it. Let's go uh, defense, right? Well, actually, I- I've got one for the final eight games. Uh, Drew Pine, right now, when you look at his season so far, he has thrown six touchdown passes in uh, three games, so mm-hmm. it's not it's not too shabby, right? So I'm gonna I'm gonna make a little bit of prediction here. Drew Pine will have more than 25 touchdown passes by the end of the season. Wow. That's, that's bold. Yeah. I like that one. I yeah. like that one, man. Yeah. So he needs 20 yeah. in the last eight. That's more than two game. I he like needs it. 20 in the last eight. Yeah. Yeah. Love so I, I think, yep, I'm going to go with that one. So let's go defense, Ryan. Let's kick things yep. off on defense. So over the last eight games of the season, I think Notre Dame is going to lead college football in sacks. I'm going to say Ooh. that the number is 32 plus. So averaging four plus a game, I think is the number we're starting to see over the last couple games. The defensive line is starting to make a much bigger impact. I think you're going to see Isaiah Foskey rolling down the stretch. Then you're going to see Jason Admalola. And the one thing is that, Brian, like early on, we were waiting for the the stars to be stars type of thing, right, to be consistent Mm -hmm. players. But the one thing we did get was that the role players start to make a lot of plays, man. Like Riley Mills is coming off of a two-sack game. We had Jacob Lacey have a big game a couple games ago. You've seen Howard Cross play good football. So I think as Isaiah Foskey and Jason Malola take their game up, and now you see Maris Loifel as a blitzer as well, I think that Notre Dame is going to feast on quarterbacks down the stretch of the season. I, I like that. I like that one. I'm, I'm actually going to – if what you said is true, then my bold prediction is going to be true. Okay. Because Notre Dame has just not done well the first half of the season in regards to first forcing turnovers. They have mm-hmm. been actually downright dreadful at it. 
Yes. And, 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 and I, you know, I, I just, yeah, just downright dreadful at it. it. My prediction is that Notre Dame is going to produce at least, at least 16 turnovers in the final eight games of the season. I that's thought about going. Bold. Yeah, it's to a game. Yeah, that's to yeah. a game because I feel like it's just going to kind of come in spurts. And I feel like, because I, I have a feel like you feel with the defensive line. We're starting to see the D-line really ramp up. And there's some offensive lines coming up on the schedule that are not good. Where I can yes. see some four or five turnover games. Right? And including against some decent teams. So that's where I'm going. Because I, I agree with you. I think the D-line is going to play better. And I think that's going to result in them really stepping up and finishing really well in that regard. So I'm, I'm very confident the defense is going to build on what we saw against North Carolina, clean up the mistakes and become more proactive because that was really the first game all year. We saw a, a team even come close to turning a ball over. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the closest Notre Dame came to forcing a turnover in the first three games was against CJ Stroud from Benjamin Morrison. Right. Yep. And that leads to my, I'm going to kind of snake this one just a little bit, Ryan, because it brings that up. Part yep. of this is this turnover thing. Because I do think Cam Hart's going to play better, and I think teams by 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 the time they get to Clemson, teams are going to be back to saying, "Okay, we're going to stop throwing at five. And that is my next bold prediction: is Benjamin Morrison will be a freshman All American this year. He's not getting a lot of hype right now because people don't pay attention, and he wasn't a highly ranked recruit, right? But he is a starter now for Notre Dame, and I think he's going to be a beneficiary of the pass rush and of Cam Hart stepping up by people going for at him more. They're not going to want to throw a Tariq. They're not going to want to throw a Cam if Cam plays the way he's capable of. So who's left to throw at? Yeah, let's throw at the freshman. And they're going to team some teams are going to pay for it. So Benjamin Morrison, in my bold prediction, will be a freshman All-American by the time the season ends. Okay. Somebody asked this, Cham Joe, including the bowl game. All my predictions are for the regular season. Eight games. So yeah. just yes. Yeah. It's the final eight games, Cham Joe. So yes, just so we're clear. Because you throw in the bowl game, like for Drew Pine's touchdowns, it's basically you know, he'd have to get 19 and nine games. That's not that hard, you know, like mm -hmm. to a game that it, it, I think it's more keeping a regular season is where I'm looking at it. So yes, that is, that is where I'm going to be. So Ryan, what is your second bold take? I was going to say, I like your bold take because mine kind of actually does parlay a little bit with it, right? You were talking about the secondary, you're talking about Benjamin Morrison having a big impact during the set, during the stretch uh, the eight game stretch to end the season, regular season. My bold take with Jaron Hall still on the on the schedule, with Caleb Williams still on the schedule, with DJ Uyunglele playing at a, at a higher rate down the stretch of the season, my bold prediction, Brian, is that Notre Dame holds every passer from here on out to below 300 yards passing on the season. Okay. Which doesn't sound too yeah. bold, but you consider yeah. they just gave up 300-plus to Drake May, and you're thinking sure. if Notre Dame's ahead – that teams are going to be passing the ball little bits. Yeah, at, at and that's kind of what I was games. thinking. Yeah, yeah, get some garbage big plays down the stretch like like North Carolina did. Yeah. Nope. They're, yeah. they're locking it down, baby. Locking yeah. it down. Um, I want to clear this up, Cham Gel. Uh, he said I misheard it as twenty five and eight games, not nineteen. Yeah, no, you're night. You're correct. What I'm saying is nineteen more. So it was twenty five. He's got six. So what I'm saying is saying he's going to get nineteen in nine games, which would get him to twenty five for the season. So yes, my, my, my thing was, I think I said that 25 for the season, right? Ryan, not 25 in the final eight games. Did I say it? Yes. Did I say it that way? I, I thought, I, I thought for the entirety, I, I, I got yes. it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if I said that wrong, uh, uh, Joe, that's my fault. I meant 25 for the season. He's got six right now, which means he would have 19 in the final eight games. So mm -hmm. yes. So apologies there, but yes, not 25 and eight games. 
That would be over three a game. And and I don't know if he's going to get to that. But I'm going 25 total by the end of the regular season is where I'm going with that. So, uh, Ryan, do you have any more bold predictions for the defense? Is that kind of kind of where you're at right now? Yeah, that's kind of it. That's it. Okay. Yeah. I have a couple others that I'm going to hang on to just because I want to see it first. But there's a couple other things that I'm really curious to see down the stretch. And then here's another bold prediction. Notre Dame will score two special teams touchdowns in the final eight games of the season. I need it, man. I need it's it. It's going to happen. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yes, it's going to happen. So, uh, so Ryan BB said, I uh, looked at Benjamin Morrison's offer list that includes an offer from Alabama. His final three was Notre Dame, Washington, and Alabama. So that was good. his final three. I, 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 he was one of the most mis-evaluated corners I've ever seen. I mean, not. I don't think he was ranked as a top 300 player by anybody, Brian. And and I look, we ranked him as a top 100 guy. You can go look at the mm-hmm. card now. He was. We had him as a top 100 recruit. Benjamin Morrison was a dude. I will never understand what everybody else was missing. He was not ranked in the on three top 300. He was not in the in the two four sevens top 247. He was not ranked in the rivals 250, and he was not ranked in the ESPN 300. ESPN had his, ESPN had him as number 43 corner in the country, and on three had him as number 44 corner in the country. The best one was rivals, who had him as the number 30 corner in the country. I never mm-hmm. understood that. Never understood that. And so, I, I saw a kid that was a top 100 recruit. I mean, just flat out length, speed instincts physicality he had it all i didn't i i I could not understand what people are missing right and i still don't and i think we're saying now that and he's even better than i thought he was going to be because he's already earned a starting job at notre dame like he's as i said the earlier in the week he's playing now like i thought he would play as a sophomore right i mean you know he he's doing really well so i i will never understand that one never understand that one can I, can I throw out a bold prediction for specialists? Of course. Throw out one real quick. John Sott makes an All-American list, baby. Keep it going. You know what? I'm hoping that you're wrong on that one. And the reason I'm hoping you're wrong on that one is because part of the reason he's in the conversation now is because they punt so dang much. I don't want him to punt a whole lot down the stretch. That's the reason I hope that you're wrong. Ah, man. He is having he, a great start to the year, man. He really He, he just needs one a game where he's knocking at 50 okay. plus, and that average okay. is going to be high. We're good. He's at 45.6 right now, and that's on 20 punts. That's got to be he, the he, highest yeah. since when? Like, that's got to be. Yeah. I mean, he currently ranks 12th in the country in punting average, yep. which is really impressive. So, so last year, Jay Bramlett was a 43.8, 42.8 the year before that, 39.4 the year before that. Tyler mm-hmm. Newsom was at 44.7 and 18, 43.6 and 617, 43.5 and 16. Uh, Tyler Newsom, first year, 44.5 and 15. Brinza was at 41.5, uh, 41.1, 40.8 for Ben Turk in 2012, 40.3 in Ben Turk in 2011. Tom Reese had three punts that year. I did, do not remember that. Okay. 38.3 for Ben Turk, 38.2 for Ben Turk. So going all the way back to 2009, there hasn't one that's been that that there hasn't been anybody as good as this. Tyler Newsom had a couple 40, had a 44, but that's the closest that they've had. 44.6, that's the closest they've had. So yes. He has been very good. I just hope he's not an All-American because he doesn't get enough punts to get the recognition to be an All-American. But he's been excellent so far. Excellent so far this season. No question about it. So, Ryan, that's let's uh, last thing. Uh, this is going to be interesting. 
toughest game. What do you think is going to be the toughest game on the Notre Dame schedule right now? And then what is your trap game? So let's start with toughest game. And this is where we're going to wrap up the Notre Dame portion because we're going to dive into some big some games this weekend. Yeah, I still think Clemson's the toughest game. I know USC has done a lot of good things offensively, but I think you saw a little bit of kind of chinks in their armor last week against Oregon State against a pretty good defense out in the Pac-12. So I'm still going to say Clemson is the toughest game. Trap game, I think, is a little bit of Syracuse, man. Like, I think that they're mm-hmm. they're a tough team as far as their ability to run the football. And I, I like that someone agrees with me there, right? Like, Sean Tucker's a stud at running back. Garrett Trader's a really good runner. You see a Rondé Gatson taking a step up. And the defense has a few players, man. Like, Garrett mm-hmm. Williams, Deuce Chestnut, Marlo Wax, Mikel Jones at linebacker. Like, they, they have a couple of good football players. So, I think Syracuse is a sneaky team. I would still pick Notre Dame to beat them. But I think that they are a better team now than even what I thought they could be in the preseason. I'm going with Syracuse as well, Ryan. And then I'm going to give you yeah. my toughest game because we agree on this one. It's not just everything. Agree with everything you said. Don't need to add to Syracuse as a team. Yep. It's also the week before Clemson. Yes. And to me, that's part of a trap game is like if it was between Stanford and UNLV, I wouldn't consider it a trap game because like they're going to say this is a good team and we need to focus on them. And we got UNLV next week. So we need to worry about UNLV because we've got Syracuse to worry about. So week before the Clemson game. And these are 18 to 21 year olds. And they, well, some of them are older than that, but most of them are 18 to 21 year olds. And it can be hard to not look ahead to a team like Clemson, especially if Clemson's still undefeated going into that game. So I think you nailed the analysis of Syracuse as a team. All I can add is I think the timing of the game even adds more to the potential for it being a trap game. And it is a road game. I'd be even more concerned about it being a trap game if it was home. Mm-hmm. I think in the only reason, because I think when you go on the road, that can kind of somewhat eliminate some of the distractions of next week because you, hey, it's it's time to rally together. And we've seen Notre Dame, in Notre Dame's two best games this year, in my opinion, are both their two road games. I think Notre Dame was more impressive in the loss to Ohio State than they were in the win over Cal, yeah. right? Just because of the quality of the opposition. So, so far this year, they've played, they've been really ready, focused mentally in both of their road games. And so I think that should help them go into play Syracuse. Toughest game for me. I think Clemson's the best team on their name schedule. I think USC mm-hmm. right now is the toughest matchup on their name schedule simply because they are a more physical running team than North Carolina, but a very similar offense to North Carolina. And I think they, they, they have even, I think right now Drake may has outplayed Caleb Williams through four games. Just fact, right? I just haven't been blown away by Caleb Williams so far. He's had a couple good games, a couple like, okay, that's a product of a system games. But the weapons around him are way better than the ones that Drake May is working with. Outside of Josh, like North Carolina has one great weapon. USC has several, right? I mean, you've got Jordan Addison. You've got Mario Williams. You've got other receivers stepping up. Plus, you have Travis Dye making plays. You've got Austin Jones finally being used uh, properly uh, by a coaching staff, which he was not at Stanford. So, I, and, I, and I think their offensive line has been, been solid. And I mm-hmm. think their offensive line has been better than Clemson's. And you said that USC showed some chinks this past week. So did Clemson, in my opinion. And I agree with you that USC saw some chinks in the armor with the offense. You can beat them up up front still, right? That's And I think, is that what you were kind of referring to? Is Oregon yeah. was the first team they played was a physical football team, and they smacked them in the mouth. And we saw the old USC kind of rear its ugly head a little bit. But they gritted mm-hmm. it out and made got the win. I would say I am just as concerned about the fact that North Carolina's defense got absolutely shredded by Wake Forest, as I am the USC offense struggling against Oregon State. To me, those two things kind of cancel each other out a little bit. And and I think I think Oregon State's a pretty good football team. So 
I think they both showed chinks in the armor. And I think they both had the side that's not supposed to be their strength step up and mm-hmm. win them a game. The USC defense yep. and the Clemson offense. The reason I'm going USC is the matchup of the depth of their weapons. And then the fact is they play that one on the road. Their name plays that one on the road. So to me, I'm still going that one is the toughest game. If Notre Dame's offense does what I think that they're capable of, then I will change it and it'll be Clemson again. But I can only go off of what we've seen from Notre Dame right now, and I don't know if Notre Dame has shown me the ability to win a shootout against a good team yet, and North Carolina is not that. So that's really where my concern is, Ryan, why I'm going with USC right now as the toughest game. Now, that could change here in the next few weeks because USC's depth could start to become a problem, and they you know lose a guy here or there. They've been pretty healthy so far. They've only really been tested once by a, a good physical team. That's going to change here moving forward. Obviously, they have Arizona State this week, which should be a – I mean, let's be honest, that should be a a cakewalk. But they've got Washington State coming up a week after that. Washington State's been a pretty good football team so far this year. They've got at Utah, at Arizona, at UCLA. UCLA looked good last night against Washington. You and I both predicted UCLA to win. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, we're going off to solid starts, man. It was an even more impressive victory than – I mean, you predicted a nine-point win. I predicted a three-point win in which Washington scored last, and it was Mm kind of close. But I did not see UCLA just working that Washington defense the way that they did. And so I thought it was going to be a win, but I didn't think it was going to be a win like that. I mean, it was 40-16 to at one point in time. What was the final, like 40-32? to it was not that. Yeah, it was not that close. 32. It was yeah. not that close. No. It was not even close to being that close. That was a USC domination or UCLA domination. So there's USC is going to be tested here down the stretch. And so um, I think that makes a perfect time to kind of segue into our second portion, Ryan. But before we go, hit that like button, everybody. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell. And as we have below, subscribe to the CFB Nation Apple Podcast. Our views on that have not been good. I'm just going to be honest with you. And we're going to try to get more stuff on there moving forward now that we get out of the break. But definitely give that a subscribe and check out the shows. Bill Bender and Bill Trochi Trochi from Sporting News, excuse me, do a great job with their shows. They come out Wednesday morning and Thursday morning. Wednesday's kind of review of the previous week. Thursday's a preview of the upcoming week. They do a great job. So make sure that you check that out.
It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com